Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for this latest edition of the Frary and Smith podcast. Sunbelt West programs finished sub 500 in bowl season, securing just two wins, but the five-game slate provided plenty of excitement from start to finish. We're excited to talk about the West Division slate of bowl games in a few moments. But before we do, we wanted to tell you about Monday's episode. Caden and I reviewed each of the seven bowl results for the Sunbelt East Division squads, including the three wins by App State, Georgia State, and Coastal Carolina. Plus, ESPN play-by-play Anish Shroff stopped by to give his thoughts on James Madison's historic season and their bowl matchup with Air Force. If you missed it, you need to go back and give it a listen. Today on episode 168 of the show, we're excited to break down each of the bowl games that the Sunbelt West teams participated in during the month of November. Plus, Texas State beat reporter Kev Chardello, stops by to talk about Texas State's first ever bowl win and their continued rise to prominence under G.J. Kinney. Caden, as we mentioned on Monday's episode, bowl season didn't go the way many around the Sun Belt had hoped. Uh, the league secures five wins. Two of those wins, though, coming from first-time bowl winners in the Sun Belt West, Texas State and South Alabama. Give me your thoughts kind of on the Sun Belt West performance in bowl season, Cato. Yeah, no, I think the term we used before when talking about the East was mixed bag, and you definitely saw a little bit of that in this West slate of bowl games as well. But I think talking about the teams that did get wins and some of the even the little things we saw from teams from losses, I think looking at the West next year, the picture is just a little bit more broadened and we have a little bit more parity as far as who's going to come out of that side. And I think when you look at each and every bowl game that we saw from teams in the West, there's a player, a certain side of the ball, something you can kind of gravitate towards and kind of use it as some tea leaves looking forward to the next season as far as who you could see being that team that represents the West in the Sunbelt Conference Championship. So I think as far as my bigger takeaways from the West slate of bowls, it was just seeing which teams and trying to kind of scout which teams are going to be having the potential to take that mantle and be the next team to represent the the West in the, in the Conference Championship game next year. And I think whether it's some younger weapons or some exciting other players that showed some things that are going to be prominent next year in the season, I think there's a lot to look forward to as far as this West side of the conference based on what we were able to see in these bowl games. Yeah, it could be fascinating to see how that West title race plays out next year. Well, like we promised, Texas State reporter Kev Jardello is here. Let's not waste any more time. It's time to recap the Pro First Responder Bowl. Well, we are excited to welcome one of our favorite guests on the Ferrari and Smith podcast, Kev Chardello, who writes for the San Antonio Express News, as well as covers Texas State on what I think is one of the best named podcasts in the league now, the Win Now or Get Bent podcast. Kev, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule to come on. Hey, I appreciate y'all. It's always nice to be on what I what I feel is the the most well-informed Sunbelt podcast there is on this one. So it's, I'm an honor to be here, guys. Good to be back on. Well, we appreciate the kind words. Kev, let's uh, teleport back, if we don't, uh, back to December 2nd, 2022, the day that G.J. Kinney was named the head coach of Texas State. Uh, a lot of bold promises, obviously, were made that day, but now 405 days later, put into perspective kind of the rise of this Texas State football program back to prominence. Yeah, you know, and, and you just said it. There was a lot of bold promises that were made. And we'd heard that before. We'd heard that with Everett Withers. We'd heard that with Jake Spavadol. And so I'm sure there was a lot of people where it fell on deaf ears, but I, I can remember thinking back to that time. And he didn't go up there and overpromise things. He was just like, this is a special place. Somebody needs to come in here and wake it up. And if the right person gets in there, watch out. And he says, I'm, I'm the right person. And, and so that was, he didn't, didn't promise this many wins or this many championships or anything. He was just like, 
I'm going to come in here and change things. And he immediately backed it up with a recruiting class, 53-man recruiting class, completely turned around the roster in, in, in one fell swoop. Uh, they came in, they beat Baylor. It's the first time in the FBS era. They've beaten a P5 team, FBS era, since 2012. So no, it's had 11 seasons now. They've been in the FBS. Uh, that was a that was a, an impact statement right off the bat. Um, they come out, they reach bowl eligibility for the first time since 2014, third time since they've gone FBS. Uh, they get that seventh win, which ensures that they're going to have a winning record. They get to a bowl game, very first bowl game in school history. And they come out with a win and, and they did it all the way through. They had a strong offensive output, but they did it in different ways throughout the season. Like when they started out with Baylor, it was a lot more of the passing attack. And then as things went on, we saw Ishmael Mahdi really emerge. And obviously Finley did a great job and he had some terrific targets, but it was really seeing Mahdi come along and, and, find, and seeing Jeter, especially in that bowl game, find his role as kind of that hammer back uh, with the three touchdowns in his last game as a Bobcat. Just a lot of things came together throughout the season. Uh, and when he talked about changing the culture, he, he really did. I mean, you even look at the bowl game. So many seniors, you see so many guys that opted out of bowl games across the country. And they had just about every single senior came out there. There were some guys like Bo Corrales, who a receiver who was one of the starter, but was heavily in the rotation. He didn't come out. There was a couple guys like that. But for the most part, I mean, you had you even had someone like Ashton Hawkins who just committed to Baylor for his final season of eligibility. He didn't enter the transfer portal until after the bowl game. He even played in the bowl game, had a crucial catch that set up a touchdown in the first half. Uh, one of his, you know, it's what he does with the with the yak, the yard after a catch. I mean, he fought through a few different guys to get right by the goal line. Then Jeter, who I mentioned earlier, punched it in. Uh, so he was instrumental in that game. And just to have guys that even though their plan is to leave and maybe go to somewhere that is a P5 or, or go somewhere where they can they can capitalize on NIL more, they still respect Kenny enough and respected this team enough to finish out and play in that last game. I mean, so from that 405 days, which, by the way, nice on, on the number. I, did, I didn't even have that number on the tip of my tongue. But going back to then to now to see the complete job of of – uh, under under promising and over delivering is, is how I would say GJ Kenny did his first year. Definitely a great way to wrap up the season and, and put it into perspective for us, Kef. When you had, we had you on last offseason, you definitely called your shot as far as something might be special brewing in Sam Marcus, and we definitely saw that this season. But since then, to the moment that I think a lot of people are wanting to ask about now, we have to ask Texas State beats Georgia Southern to secure bowl eligibility on November 4th. The ninth ends with the jump into the San Marcos River. Just talk about what that night meant to you and the number of people who have been rooting for this program amidst some dark times lately. Oh, yeah. I mean, because it was, it, you know, it, it, there there is some history here with, with Texas State football. There was some over a hundred years of football have been played here in the eighties. There was D two national championships. There was, uh, there has been good football here before. And so it, it took a lot to push it to, to FBS, the drive to FBS. It was a big thing in the, in the mid two thousands. Uh, and in 2010, when they finally were like, okay, we're, we're going to be FBS in a couple years, they get the FBS. There's all this pride initially Two or the two of their seasons Early on, were big, were great seasons. Like I said, it was the third year of bowl eligibility this year. Those first two seasons, they were bowl eligible in 2012 or in 2013 and 2014. They didn't get to go. To, they didn't get picked for a bowl game, even when they went seven and five. 
in 2014. That was the case of there were just a lot of teams that were bowl eligible that year. This year, there was there was uh, uh, not enough teams bowl eligible. We saw like JMU, Jacksonville State get in there. Um, so it wasn't the case. There's more bowl games now than there were back then. And so, and at the time, everybody felt, oh, you know, we got snubbed, but Bobcats will be back, what, 2015, 2016, they'll be back. And then it was eight seasons of not winning more than four games for a place that has a, a very rich history of football. A lot of those fans, they they started to to back away from from the program after eight years of that. And the stands were empty. There just wasn't a lot of support, donations, financial support from fans. It was really starting to dwindle um, until there was leadership change, administration change with the athletic director, Don Coriel coming in there. Then a new school president with Dr. Kelly Dampus getting in there. They hired G.J. Kinney, and it was just kind of the, the trifecta of those three just really taking football serious and understanding that it's the front porch of university. It's what everybody sees. So you really have to curate it. And, and if you put out a quality product, people will see your university as a, a quality uh, institution. And they decided to actually take that seriously. And in one quick year, they were able to go from, from eight years of not winning four games to eight wins and a bowl win. You know, there's still a few things, few thorns in their side that Texas State has to get over. But for the most part, that getting over that hump, that initial hump of bowl eligibility in that night, it seemed like it was over celebrating to the rest of the world. I'm sure everyone's like, these guys are crazy. They're jumping in the river for bowl eligibility. But, you know, that's that's a special moment. The jumping in the river, it's when when students here graduate. It's right by Strahan Arena where, where you go for your graduation. It's also where they play basketball games. And you can go right out to the river right there. And people will graduate and walk out in their gowns and jump into the river. It's a, it's a tradition here at Texas State. Uh, and so that was, that was a symbol of, of a new era, of a new that, – that this team is finally D1 ready, FBS ready after over a decade at the FBS level. It's finally taking it serious. It's not that – the last administration did a great job of pushing it to the FBS level, but they didn't do a good job of maintaining it at the FBS level and, get, and throwing in the support and everything that, that's needed to really make it grow because it's a different animal. It's a bigger animal, and it wasn't taken seriously uh, until the new administration was here. And that bowl eligibility, you know, long, long roundabout way to get to it, but that was, that was a very symbolic moment for, for this place. So yeah, everyone, everyone jumped in the river. Yeah, Kev, I think those are just some great points because I think a lot of people forget how big of a university Texas State is in the state of Texas. And it's some things, you know, that cupboard is kind of put in order. There's a chance here for this program to really, you know, rise up the ranks in future seasons. And that's kind of where I wanted to park on this next question. Texas State helps deliver the largest crowd in first responder bowl history, but it was also the most watched game, 2.8 million viewers since this game uh, started back in 2011. This program, Kef, many have said is kind of a sleeping giant. It has been for a while. What does this tell you about Texas State's brand moving forward? Yeah, uh, it's great for the brand. Uh, It's terrific branding. I mean, uh, the views on television, the fans that were there in the stands, I mean, it's 26,000 plus, most of them wearing maroon and gold. Uh, it's, It's when I was going, talking about the early days of them first jumping to FBS, and how excited fans were. You could see that. You could see that starting to bubble up, how many Texas State alum there are in the state of Texas. I mean, here in San Marcos, it's in between San Antonio and Austin, as we were talking about off-air earlier. 
And there's so many alum in both of those cities because they graduate and they go to those two cities and even up in Dallas. And, and this goes even back when they first jumped to FBS, it was, it was there, it was there and it dissipated after losing. And that's what happens. And this is starting to bring a lot of those people back. I mean, I can't tell you how many people in Dallas for the first responders bowl were like, this is the first Texas State game I've seen in 10 years. You know, they didn't watch any of the season. They heard they're in a bowl game, so they show up for it. Uh, so that's what they mean when they say waking the sleeping giant, because there's there's a lot, a lot of Bobcats. This is this has been a, 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 pro, a school that's been around since 1899. It's a long, long time. There's, so there's a lot of alumni. There's a lot of history there and a lot of people. Um, and, and you give them a product to be proud about and they'll show up. And you can make money off that. It can be profitable. It can be great for for things across the board for this university. Uh, so I think that's what everybody means when they talk about waking the sleeping giant. It was asleep for a long time. It was almost in a coma. But they finally uh, they, they finally woke it up, at least for a little bit. We'll, we'll see how long it stays awake. And there's no doubt the program's definitely awake now from its hypersleep. And I think with that fan base and that base of, of supporters and donors and all, that also comes the recruiting base that's in the state of Texas, too, that not other Sunbelt teams can capitalize on. So definitely a lot to be excited about in San Marcos. But talking about the game itself, it also definitely delivered. We saw a ton of points. You mentioned Jamal Jeter before getting in the end zone three times. But let's talk about the defensive side of the ball and Brian Holloway and that defense holding Rice to just 197 yards in that game, the second lowest total of the season for Texas State. We know that defense has kind of been up and down as far as a unit goes for this team this season. But what was working specifically in that game, you think, as far as Texas State defense being able to kind of impose their will on Rice? You know, they didn't get the most amount of sacks of TFLs that they had throughout the season, but that was a big part of it. You saw it. They didn't get to the quarterback every time, but it manifested itself in interceptions, five interceptions. That was a season high for them. Interceptions was an area that they struggled somewhat with throughout the season, um, but they had a they had a, a high number of them in that game. They were just getting after the quarterback. Uh, it's a shame because it, it, Jonathan Packy, the defensive coordinator, he's off to Duke. You know, he's off to Manny Diaz, his mentor. Now he's taken over at Duke, so now he's the defensive coordinator there. That came out right after the game. Um, it, it was an up and down defense, but it was it's a very it was an aggressive defense where they are constantly pressuring the quarterback. And you saw that in the first responders bowl. And I mean, that turned into two pick sixes for Brian Holloway. Uh, which was which was incredible, which is kind of full circle moment, him being an SMU transfer. This was his second year at Texas State. But his first three seasons he spent at SMU. So it was a nice little full full circle moment for him to be playing at Ford Stadium where, where SMU plays. Uh and, and that was that was the main thing that was that was going right. And it was the seniors that I mentioned that the ones that didn't opt out of this bowl game, I mentioned five interceptions. Three of those five were were by seniors, two from Brian Holloway. It's Sean Holton, the safety, who had another one, and Caleb Ford Dement, the corner, he had one as well. Um, so just the the senior leadership of the defense was was huge in that game. Even on the defensive line, you had guys like Jordan Revels, Chance Main, getting into the backfield, getting sacks, uh, getting pressure on the quarterback. But that's going to leave some holes. So there's no defensive coordinator now. They still haven't named a new one. Those seniors are now gone. Brian Holloway's gone. Sean Holton's gone. Caleb Ford Dement, Revels, Main, all those guys. They're gone now, so they're going to have to really turn it up in recruiting and to to replace that defense. They've got 22 guys signed, another four or five committed already to sign later in February, so they have a big class coming in. But but there's a, a, a lot of big shoes to fill, starting with the, the coordinator himself. 
yeah, will definitely be something to kind of keep an eye on as we head into the offseason because I think a lot of people have some high expectations perhaps for Texas State in the Sunbelt West next year. Kef, let's talk about some of those expectations a little bit. You get the announcement that Ishmael Mahdi's coming back. He finishes this game with 122 yards and caps off a 2,000-plus all-purpose yard season. TJ Finley, relatively quiet in this game uh, with the run game kind of taking that front seat. Mahdi has obviously announced he's coming back. TJ Finley has hinted that he might be coming back. If those two come back, what would that mean for Texas State heading into the 2024 season? Oh, it's huge because it's not even just just those two guys. I mean, you have you have uh, three of the five starters on the offensive line coming back. You have receivers like Joey Holbert coming back. Uh, you, you have uh, uh, a lot of Connor Fox at tight end coming back. Um, you have it would it would basically bring back this whole offense outside of Ashton Hawkins, Bray Walker, Caleb Johnson. It would bring back the whole starting offense. Uh, we saw that this offense it led the Sun Belt in points per game and yards total yards per game this season. So that's what they would be. That's what they would be bringing back. So the hope it starts there with T.J. Finley. Now he hinted last week that he's going to put out some video, a Dear Texas State video, similar to the one Madi put out when he announced he was coming back. Uh, that was a week ago, though, and it's it's been a uh, it said coming soon on it, but it, it wasn't as soon as everybody had anticipated. So we don't know for sure. We haven't heard from the man himself. I do know that everybody around the program is pretty confident uh, that he will be back. That that they are expecting TJ Finley to come back. Um, you can even uh, there was one time Mac Leftwich leading into the offense coordinator for Tech State, Mac Leftwich leading into the first responders bowl. He was talking about how great it is to be getting their quarterback back. Um, I think he, it was unintentionally letting something slip, or maybe it was foreshadowing. But who knows? Maybe the decision hasn't even been made yet. But we'll see because he could either he he said it himself at the first press conference at the beginning of December after the bowl was announced. T.J. Finley said could transfer, could come back, could go pro. Don't know. So there's three options on the table. Um, but it starts there. That's who they need to come back because now Malik Hornsby is gone. He's off actually to Arkansas State, according to reports. He's committed to Arkansas State. Going to go play receiver over there. Very interesting because actually when he came to Texas State, he turned down Nebraska, visited Nebraska, but they wanted him to play receiver, chose Texas State to play quarterback. Now he's leaving for Arkansas State for to play receiver. Um, don't know why that wouldn't have worked out here, what happened there with those conversations, but he's off and he's away, so they need a backup quarterback because right now, P.J. Hatter is a true freshman last year, going to be a redshirt freshman next year, didn't play at all. And then it's going to be a true, true freshman in Brad Jackson. So those are going to be the backups, If assuming Finley is there. So if Finley is gone, then those are the guys they're relying on right there, uh, which is you know no offense to either of those guys. They're young and experienced, not the most reliable. Um, so I imagine they're looking at another quarterback with Malik Hornsby leaving, a, either a backup quarterback, one that could compete with Finley, maybe even possibly. Um, so maybe Finley's waiting for them to make that move uh, to to make his decision. I don't know. This is a lot of it is speculation on on my end. I don't have much firsthand knowledge on the situation, but uh, it, it does. It is interesting because this offense is is it's go. It needs that leader, the guy who played 13 games last year, if it wants to look like it did this past season. Otherwise it's going to look like something else, depending on who the quarterback is. That could be better. That could be worse. Who knows? But uh, yeah, they, they need to get uh they need to figure out that situation pretty quick. 
there's no doubt we'll all be tuned in to see what TJ's decision is going to be in this era of college football now where it seems like quarterbacks have more options than ever as far as what to do once the season's over. But with all that in mind, Kef, and who's coming to return to this team, some coaching turnover. We talk about the eight-win season, the Power 5 win over Baylor, bowl eligibility, and the first ever bowl win. What do you see next for this program? What is next for the Texas State program heading into this 2024 season? Yeah, I'm confident even if it's not Finley coming back, we, we've seen G.J. Kinney go out and get quarterbacks even late in the game. T.J. Finley himself was a quarterback he got at the end of May. Finley didn't even get to Texas State until July even. So I, I'm, I'm pretty confident in his ability to recruit and his ability to implement that offense with Mac Leftwich coming back and all the other pieces on the offense. Uh, that paired with a pretty favorable schedule, much more favorable than last year. They had one of the, the toughest slates in the Sun Belt. Last season, this season, they're going to have seven home games. Uh, they, they're cross-divisional matchups. They're not facing Coast Carolina. They're not facing App State. Uh, they're, it, it's a much easier, not facing JMU. It's a much easier easier slate for the Bobcats um, coming up this season. So I, I think with that in mind and, and some of the upheaval in the West, especially with Summerall leaving Troy, uh, I think it's a little more open for the Bobcats uh, I, I think I'm gonna. I want to see what they can do with that at that quarterback position, whether it's Finley coming back or a replacement, to be fully confident. But I, I think the new expectation for this team is ten wins. After you get to eight, you see a favorable schedule on there. The that next threshold for them to reach is that that double digit win marker, um, and potentially a, a Sun Belt West title and a Sun Belt title, if that's if that's the case, if they're able to get to that the, the double digit wins, depending on how the rest of it shakes up, but. But that's I feel like that's the new bar here. You know, now they finally got over that that big that big hump that they've needed to get to that sixth win, to have a winning record, to have that bowl win. Now they need to do things like beat Louisiana. Louisiana has beaten them 10 years in a row. So Texas State, that's a that's a big thorn in Texas State's side. They have UTSA again, which isn't a conference opponent, but that's still a a a regional opponent with them being just down in San Antonio. That's a big rivalry, Texas State and UTSA, and they haven't beaten UTSA in football. They're 0-5 against UTSA, and UTSA's only had football since 2012. So it's, that's another thorn in, the, in this program side. So if they can get over a couple of those humps and win, win the games that they're definitely going to be favored in this season, then I, I think that's a, an obtainable goal, that, that 10 wins. Well, Kev, we always appreciate the the insight that you're able to provide on this Texas State program. No one covers uh, them better. TJ Finley, if you're listening, we're all waiting for that coming soon, so feel free to toss that video out shortly. But, Kev, always appreciate the time, and I uh, hope you have a great rest of your offseason. I appreciate y'all having me on. I enjoy your pod, as I was saying. It's always an honor to jump in and talk with you guys. I'll, I'll see you in New Orleans, I'm sure, right? Yeah, we will uh, We will be there. We'll definitely have to get together and, and have some fun again. But uh, until then, uh, we will talk to you again soon. Thanks, guys. I don't know. Caden Keff is continuing to be one of my favorite guests on the Frary and Smith podcast. He also still holds uh, the best hair of any of our guests ever, right, Cato? Yeah, he definitely has that title on lock. I don't think anyone's going to dethrone him for that for a while, but definitely always appreciate his insight. He's a guy who called his shot about this Texas State team last season in the offseason, got us kind of drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit. And now looking back, we probably should have drank a little bit more of it, looking at the season they had last year and what they can continue to do in this 2024 season with a lot of that, those pieces coming back on the roster. Yeah, Caden, it's definitely going to be fascinating. And I don't think it's unfair to say that a lot of the expectations heading into 2024 for Texas State 
probably do hinge on the decision by TJ Finley. Does he stay? Does he go? If he returns, not only will he be in the conversation as one of the best quarterbacks in the Sun Belt next year, Texas State might be the favorite heading into next year in the Sun Belt West Division. Yeah, it's hard to argue against that, Noah. Obviously, every team is resetting and trying to figure out which strengths and weaknesses they need to build on or improve in as far as them heading into next year. And when you look at this Texas State team, there's no question that they have more strengths and weaknesses. Just looking at what they were able to build on the offensive side of the ball alone, I think just them just kind of developing that killer instinct to win close games and fixing some stuff on the defensive side of the ball is really all they have to take care of compared to some other teams on this West Division who have to take care of new head coaches, completely revamping sides of the ball. I think this Texas State team is definitely in a great spot considering what Coach Kinney was able to do in his very first inaugural season with this team. Yeah, a lot of excitement currently in San Marcos. It will be a fun offseason for them coming off of the bowl victory, a chance for G.J. Kinney to do a little bit more recruiting, and we'll see who Texas State is in 2024. But moving on, Caden, let's talk about the 68 Ventures Bowl, a game that South Alabama, they did what they needed to do, Caden. You challenged them. You said they were the better team. They proved that in this game, winning 59-10 to over Eastern Michigan. The Jags earning their first bowl win in program history. They had been 0-3 in their previous three tries. Caden, this was arguably the most dominant bowl win in all of bowl season across all of the bowl games. South Alabama led 59-3 to after three quarters. Eastern Michigan scored their only touchdown with 58 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Some bright spots for South Alabama. The freshman quarterback, Gio Lopez, had four touchdowns, three passing, one rushing. South Alabama ran for a season-high 320 yards on the ground and had four touchdowns. Jamal Pritchett stepping into Colin Lacey's shoes had a big game, eight catches for 127 yards and two touchdowns. And in total, South Alabama put up 627 yards of offense while holding Eastern Michigan to just 150 yards. They did that while scoring 59 points, which was the most points in their D1 program history. Caden, with all that said, we've got to talk about the South Alabama offense. They were without Carter Bradley. They were without LaDamian Webb. Colin Lacey didn't play. But yet they turned to some of their young guys, Gio Lopez, Braylon McReynolds, Jamal Pritchett, And it's no secret, honestly, that this offense didn't have the best year. I think that was part of the reason for the inconsistency. But this offensive performance, 627 yards, 59 points, Caden, it gives me hope that the Jags won't have some of the same problems next year. Definitely, no. I think it gives this team hope, especially given who you mentioned were the big names that came out of this game on the offensive side of the ball that were able to perform. All of the names, the Carter Bradleys, the Damian Webbs, the just trio and litany of receivers we've seen over the years. They're not going to be there anymore next season for this team. This is a team that kind of had all their chips on the table this year, especially offensively with just how many weapons they had at their disposal. And you mentioned it, they kind of disappointed. This is a team that would have high scoring outbursts like we saw in this bowl game, like we saw against Southern Miss. And then they'd also have performances where they would get kind of held up and they would have Carter Bradley running for his life and getting sacked a bunch. So the fact that this team kind of got to start their reset offensively early in this bowl game, have a great performance against this team was a great sign as far as the future of this program. It might look a little different from this team that we saw in the past. We see Gio Lepez being an absolute threat in the run game with what he was able to do with his legs with some design quarterback runs. We know Braylon McReynolds is a guy who can take a high volume of snaps as far as 
being able to do things both out of the backfield as a receiver and in the run game. And I think when you look at all of the little pieces of what this team has offensively, it's it's nice to know, I think, is some insurance going into the next year if you're a South Alabama fan, that despite kind of getting decimated on that side of the ball from a personnel standpoint, you do have some young talent that has now performed on a big stage, shown they're capable and big for the moment. And it'll be probably one of the biggest storylines, I think, of the offseason as far as trying to figure out what this offense is going to look like next year and really how they can achieve more consistency compared to this last season we saw. Yeah, perhaps a young, hungry South Alabama offense heading into the 2024 season. Kate, in this South Alabama team, they finished seven and six. Uh, they are not going to have as much hype heading into next season as they did this year. Gio Lopez will more than likely be the presumptive starter at quarterback. You've got some nice pieces on offense. The defense is going to look a lot different. Jaden Voison does recommit to this program. I think that was a huge win for Kane Walmack and company. Caden, will the ability to fly under the radar next year be good for South Alabama? You have to give a resounding yes to that question, Noah, just given what this team showed us last year. They came into this season with really big expectations. We mentioned they were one of the biggest teams in the country as far as retaining talent and having so and so many starters return. I think they only had a couple guys between both sides of the ball that didn't return for this team last year, and they were not able to meet those expectations. The pressure got to this team. We saw them not play well in their big opening game against Tulane this season. They disappointed against James Madison as well. Troy, they only put up 10 points in that game. Kind of at the biggest moments of this team season, they weren't able to produce and perform at a high level when it mattered most compared to a season last year where they seemed just a couple plays away from getting to that point when they weren't having those expectations put on them before the season. This year, they had those expectations on them. The target was on their back versus what going from being kind of the hunted versus the hunting in the conference. And as a result, they, in a way, kind of crumbled under that pressure and disappointed this year in terms of what they were thinking they were going to do given their expectations. So I think them heading into next year with a different kind of looking roster, some different talent, some younger players getting an opportunity and being able to kind of go under the radar and have some mystique about you as far as what teams are expecting from you this season is definitely a good thing for this team. I think it can only be a positive just looking at what they had this year, which was a little bit more of a negative compared to the expectations we had for this team heading into the year. Yeah, definitely a challenging season for South Alabama, hoping for a rebound as we head into 2024. Kaden, let's talk about another team from the state of Alabama. And quite frankly, this is a team that I expected to have won a game in bowl season. They were not able to, and that was the Troy Trojans who lost the 76 Birmingham Bowl to Duke 17-10. to This was the league's first ever bowl matchup against a Power 5 opponent. Troy in this game loses. They saw their five-game winning streak in bowl games dating back to 2010 come to an end. Their 10-game streak dating back to September 23rd of 2023 come to an end. Caden, the one thing that was neat for me to see, Greg Gasparato, the interim head coach here, obviously your former safeties coach, getting an opportunity after John Summerall departed for Tulane. Love when good things happen to good people. This was Troy's lowest scoring game of the season. They trailed 14-0 at the half. They scored their lone touchdown with 554 left. Kamani Vidal was held under 100 yards. He does, though, finish the season with 1,661 yards and over 4,000 career yards to his name. I was, though, impressed with the defensive line play for Troy. Jackson, Juvenor, Solomon combining for four and a half TFLs, a forced fumble, a pair of sacks, but ultimately not enough in this tight game versus Duke. Kaden, let's be honest. This was, in my opinion, a, a weird game. Neither team had their head coach. Duke was without several of their star players, including their star quarterback. Troy dealt with illness all week. Gunnar Watson was never able to practice ahead of this game. Troy's offense struggled at times. 
They never really got the run game established. How much do you think the departure of John Summerall affected this team in this game? It's a good question, No, and we really won't ultimately know the answer unless we talk to some of the players. But I think when you look at this Troy team playing in a close game against Duke, I mean, on paper, this doesn't look like a game where John Summerall's presence were, was necessarily missing. This is a team that's played in a lot, a lot of close games. I think the defensive standard was definitely upheld for this team, holding Duke to only 17 points. Only 330 yards total in this game and forcing two turnovers. I mean, their secondary played amazing in this game as well. And I think when you look at the offense and struggles they had, maybe some of that had to do more with, like you mentioned, the condition of Gunnar Watson. They just weren't able to get things going on third down, especially where they were only three for 12 on the evening. So I think when you look at this game, it's hard to really pinpoint and quantify how much John Summerall's presence really meant to this game. But I feel like being a player who's been in the position at App State with having coach departures from just looking at the energy on the sideline and the energy of this team in and out of the snaps and in and out of the huddle, it didn't seem like they were missing that edge that they have when Coach Summerall is coaching them. So I wouldn't necessarily attribute their shortcomings in this game to that. But I will say, when we talked to Kelly and Eric, I did pick Duke covering in this game. I thought Troy would be able to pull out the win, but I think we may have underestimated what Duke had as far as power five bodies, big bodies in the trenches on both sides of the ball being able to have a big impact in this game. And they definitely gave Troy a, a real run for their money and a real test. I think this game was very reminiscent of the UTSA bowl game that Troy played in last year, closely contested contest with, with two teams that were really just battling on an every down basis to get the win. It was not the offensive performance this team wanted, especially with Coach Gasparato at the helm for the first time as an interim head coach. But I think ultimately, when you look at the Troy performance, I wouldn't necessarily pit it as a distraction of not having Coach Summerall compared to like what we saw from James Madison, where that clearly was more on the table as far as transfer portal guys, the coaching staff being a little bit more disarray in the performance they put on both sides of the ball as far as what they did in their bowl game against Air Force. Yeah, Caden, I think regardless of everything you just said, and I agree with you wholeheartedly there, the loss of John Summerall is going to be a, a big loss as we head into the offseason. We know Jared Parker is going to lead this program into the future. He's worked under some of the biggest names in this sport. Caden, Troy is going to be without a number of their top players. Gunnar Watson's not going to be there. Kamani Vidal, Jaden McDonald, who uh, was the star linebacker, has committed to Indiana. The coaching staff's going to be largely new. In your mind, when you look at this Troy program heading into the offseason into next year, what are your biggest keys to continuing the success that Troy has had over the past two seasons? Yeah, I think when you look at Troy trying to maintain their success, it's something that's a lot easier said than done as far as having to maintain a culture. It's definitely easier than having to generate a new culture. And that's why you have to give a shout out to all first year head coaches who are able to attain and maintain success. But I think when you look at taking over a program and trying to uphold that standard, there's definitely different challenges that come with that. And I think when you look at this Troy team and why they've been so successful the last couple of years, I've said it before and I'll say it again, this team took the identity of Coach Summerall. Now, I don't know if this new head coach, Coach Parker, is going to have that same edge, that same level of intensity and that passion for this program and having his players be able to mimic that on a down-to-down play-to-play basis. But I do think there's still some of that as far as the heartbeat of this program and its success historically. And I think a lot of it's also going to come down to what we saw on the defensive side of the ball. This is a Troy defense who's undoubtedly been the best defense in the conference the past two years. Two years ago, we saw them kind of carry this team to championship heights. This year, we saw the offense be able to complement them a little bit more. But I do think if this team is able to kind of keep its militant edge, its militant level of preparation and discipline that we see on a weekly basis with the head coach Summerall at the helm, 
and be able to maintain their defensive standard, we could see them still be able to kind of keep that same success we saw last year because I'd imagine that despite losing a lot of seniors like they did the year before, there's going to be a lot of guys in this program that are familiar with how things are going and most importantly familiar with how a championship team looks. And if they don't see it looking like that, we could see the player leadership maybe step up as well and see them be able to still reach the same championship heights we've seen in the past under Coach Summerall. Definitely a fascinating offseason ahead for the Troy Trojans. Caden, moving on to the RNL Carrier New Orleans Bowl featuring Jacksonville State in Louisiana. This game goes to overtime. Jacksonville State able to walk away with their first ever win in their first ever bowl game, 34-31 over Louisiana. Louisiana has now lost their second bowl game in a row. It was just the second overtime game in New Orleans Bowl history. Louisiana led with 5.32 to go after Tyree Skipper's pick six, which was one of three defensive touchdowns on the day. It was actually a Louisiana record and just one off of the NCAA record. Jalen Clark had a 46-yard fumble return for a touchdown. He also had a 12-yard pick six. He had two of them. Louisiana put up just 247 yards of offense, though, and Jacksonville State put up 526. That ended up being the difference is Jacksonville State's offense proved to just be too much in Louisiana's record seventh New Orleans Bowl appearance. Caden, I said it earlier, for the second straight year, this is a Louisiana team that's lost their bowl game. The offense didn't show up again in this bowl game. You can remember back to the struggles versus Houston in last year's Independence Bowl. The defense played well in that game, uh, and they did in this game as well. We mentioned the three defensive touchdowns, but they still allow 526 yards of total offense. The group kept UL in this game, but Kanan, what do you make of Louisiana's struggles to win their bowl games over the last two seasons? Yeah, no, it's tough for this team. I mean, when you look at their last two bowl appearances, they've had their quarterback that was not the starter to start the season end up playing in the bowl game. This is now Chandler Fields being the third string quarterback this year. He played in the bowl game last year as the second string quarterback after Ben Wolders went down. And we even saw a little bit of a sneak preview of Zeon Chris in that bowl game as well last year. But I think when you look across both bowl games that they've played in, they've really just had issues as far as generating offense. I think you look at this matchup, we talked all season about how that Louisiana run game has been so opposing and such a big part of their attack offensively. And in this game, they only rushed for 92 yards and that definitely hindered them and definitely made Chandler Fields job a little bit harder. And as a result, you see a performance where your defense kind of outshines your offense as far as scoring the football. And last year, they got a tough matchup against a Houston team that featured some guys that we're seeing now playing on Sundays, like a Clayton Toon and a Tank Dell, but kind of the same thing as far as not being able to generate offense. They ran the ball a little bit better in that game with 129 yards on the ground, but they were not able to get a rushing touchdown. Chandler Fields only found the end zone once in the game, and then they were shut out in the entire second half. So I think as far as bowl preparation, this team might have to kind of do the rain dance, find some different sort of juju and good luck as far as being more successful to end the season out. But I think ultimately preparing and scheming for a bowl game is just a completely different and separate challenge than the week-to-week grind of playing a conference schedule. And I think this team offensively, maybe in the future when they make bowl games, kind of has to get back to some creativity, some different things and some different looks for their offense to get them set up for more success because clearly their defense has been a little bit more built for these bowl games than their offense when you look at the last two seasons in their body of work. Caden, it sounds like what you're saying, Louisiana might need to find a voodoo doll ahead of uh, bowl season next year to uh, maybe fix some of their issues. But the other big thing coming out of the Raging Cajuns camp, we found out post-bowl game that Zeon Chris was departing the program. He was responsible for over 1,700 yards of offense, 17 touchdowns in eight games prior to his injury. In my opinion, he was going to win the Sunbelt Freshman of the Year award had he not gotten injured. 
He's announced that he's following uh, Tulane head coach Willie Fritz to Houston. He's expected to compete for that quarterback one job. Caden, we saw Chandler Fields announce that he's coming back. He is the presumptive QB1 now heading into the 2024 season. Still very early in the offseason, but how does the loss of Chris kind of affect Louisiana's outlook in 2024, in your opinion? It affects everything, Noah. It's a monumental loss, and I think, like I mentioned in the in, before the show in the beginning, all these teams in the West specifically are doing their own self-assessment and figuring out which areas they need to improve. And some of those improvements in the offseason could definitely result in teams being able to put themselves in that conference championship picture. And I think you and me both were quite high on this team being able to double down on their success they saw this year because of Zeon Chris coming back. That's the most important position on the football field. And having a young quarterback return to this team with the dual threat abilities he has, his ability to win close games as well and kind of never crumble under the pressure. We saw him pull out the close come from behind win against Texas State, play some great performances against South Alabama as well this year. Just tough losing this guy, especially after the injury, just because that's out of all the boxes I think the team wants to be able to check heading into the offseason. Having that quarterback box checked is definitely a huge deal. And I think when you look at this team, we've talked about the defense having to play a lot of younger players two years ago. A lot of those players have been able to come into their own now and will be continue to double down on that next season. We talk about the run game being a strength of this team. The quarterback seems like the piece of this team going forward that's now going to be where the question marks are as far as them not being able to get to that next level of success and get back to that championship level. I'm a fan of what Chandler Fields was able to do at times to close out this season, but I think there was a reason he was buried in this depth chart coming into this season just because of what we saw that Zion was able to bring, not just from an arm talent standpoint, but from his legs as well, and just adding that dynamic to the offense that I think gave every defense they faced problems, whether it was for one quarter, two quarters, or an entire game. So I think moving forward, the quarterback position now I think is going to be highlighted for this team. How can they improve there? Is Chandler Fields going to be their guy? Do they maybe bring someone else in? Because I think when you look at the rest of this roster, they have a lot of good things going for them. So it's going to be a very, very interesting offseason and maybe the most important offseason out of all the teams in the Sun. But I think when you look at it, just given what they have and what they could potentially be with the right person at the quarterback position under center for them. Yeah, definitely fascinating heading into the offseason. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Zeon Chris would have been a top five quarterback in this league heading into next year had he returned. Well, after the brief trip to New Orleans, let's head back to the state of Alabama for the third game that was played in Alabama during bowl season. This is the Camellia Bowl, Northern Illinois, walking away with a 21-19 to win over Arkansas State. Arkansas State losing in their first bowl game since 2019. They trailed for the final 46-plus minutes of this game. NIU had a 20-plus minute time of possession advantage in this contest. Arkansas State still puts up 351 yards of offense. Jalen Rayner finishes with almost 300 yards of offense, two touchdowns. Cato Corey Rucker, you called your shot. He hadn't had a touchdown this year. He finishes with two, five catches for 107 yards in this game. Arkansas State, though, getting within two with a minute 14 to go. They recover an onside kick, but then they're called offsides on a controversial call that I'm going on the record with saying was not offsides. They end up losing this football game. Kanan, when we talked after this game, the first thing you said to me about this game was you were impressed by Jalen Rayner's play. He finishes with nearly 300 yards of total offense. He threw two touchdowns. He was able to consistently move the chains both on the ground and through the air. What impressed you most about Rayner's performance in this game? 
Before we get to Raiders' performance, I just want to co-sign with you said, Noah, that was definitely not an offside on the onside kick. As a former special teamer who's practiced a ton of onside kicks, you work weekly on that timing and getting things right. And the fact that Arkansas State wasn't able to be rewarded for that preparation and being able to get on that onside kick was definitely tough to see and made my stomach sick. But Jalen Rayner made my stomach the opposite of sick watching this game. I mean, this is a guy who's really coming to his own. You look at his stat line in this game, it may not impress you, but if you watch the film and really watch this game, like I was able to, you see a quarterback that looks years ahead of what he's putting out there as far as a confidence, anticipation, timing, and accuracy standpoint at the quarterback position. I mean, he had multiple passes get dropped. He had some passes that weren't necessarily perfect, but his wide receivers could have made it happen and done him some favors. And I think overall in this game, they definitely didn't do him a ton of favors. I remember Reagan Ely dropping just a beautiful deep ball that Rainer put right into the bread basket. That could have been a big play for this team. There was a couple big third downs and big plays that just weren't necessarily capitalized on with Rainer's weapons on the outside. But I think when you look at him as a player, there's two different kinds of quarterbacks. There's ones, the game manager kind of term has been used negatively sometimes, and there's game elevators and game changers. And I think when you look at this guy, he has the potential to be a guy that's not just going to be a manager for your offense, but be the kind of guy that can elevate the players around him, generate and make his own plays like we saw him do with his legs in this game, being the team's leading rusher when it really just needed to happen. And I think we can see that moving forward with this team, with him under center. He was efficient all year with the ball. He continued to grow throughout the season. And I think he's definitely shown shades of the kind of quarterback that's not going to ever be the reason why you lose games, but will do his best to elevate your team and win them games moving forward. So definitely excited for his sophomore season. I expect the opposite of a sophomore slump. And a lot of that has to do with what I saw him do in this bowl game to end the year. Yeah, a lot of great things happening down in Jonesboro. Jalen Rayner, I think, has to be amongst those big talking points heading into the offseason. Caden, this Arkansas State team was honestly the biggest surprise of the season. ODU could also make an argument here, but this is huge for this program, Butch Jones, to get into a bowl game. All of the recruiting, the program building appears to finally be paying off. In your opinion, as we take a brief look ahead to 2024, what's the next step for this Arkansas State program? No surprises here, Noah. The next step for this program is building around Jalen Rayner and keeping Jalen Rayner, quite frankly, for as long as you can. When you look at this team as a whole, you can help them in a lot of ways. And I think the first way you can help them is trying to drastically improve that defensive side of the ball. This is a defense that gave 31 points up per game. And I expect Jalen Rayner next season with him under center, being able to generate more points for this offense and the less points the defense scores, obviously, it makes his job a little bit easier. And Going and doubling down on that as well as going to involve getting some wide receivers and some more talent for this guy out wide. We talked about it with Kef that Malik Hornsby will be a target of Jalen Rainers next year. So that'll be super interesting. And just continuing to surround him with guys that have, I think, more experience would be helpful. I would love to see them get some transfer portal additions from some guys who have some experience playing in some different offenses, having some reps as far as catching balls in big moments. I think he could benefit a lot from that and a bolstered up offensive line. We know Jacob Bayer is going to be back for them at the center position and having some more continuity in the offensive line will definitely help him. But I think ultimately it's going to come down to keeping this guy moving forward. We know that the quarterback position, as mentioned before, has so many opportunities when seasons are over. As of right now, it seems like this guy is staying, but I think if he has an even better year and takes a bigger leap with better pieces around him and an improved defense and an overall better team maybe he gets some more interesting propositions from teams in the transfer portal and things like that so I think this team's gonna have to build around this quarterback because he's looking like the future and then once they do build around him hopefully keep building around him and keep him in Jonesboro for as long as possible yeah consider us fans of Jalen Rayner and everything going on down at Arkansas State certainly hoping 
that they can build on a good 2023 season in 2024. Well, that will do it for our Sunbelt West Bowl season recap. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to Texas State reporter Kev Chardello for joining us for today's conversation. We hope you enjoyed all of our bowl season coverage this season. Before you go, here's a quick reminder. We're going to be back again on Friday as we begin our annual in-review series where we'll recap the seasons of each of the Sunbelt members with the help of the voices you're most familiar with. Voice of the Dukes, Dave Riggert, will join us to recap the historic season for James Madison in this episode on Friday. You're going to want to make plans to join us. That'll do it for us here at the Ferry and Smith Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, do us a quick favor. Tell a friend about the show. Help us continue to grow this into the premier destination for Sunbelt football fans. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Prairie. Thanks for spending time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.